I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight in these podcasts, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Garden design, pest control, plant care and growing your own fruit and vegetables. Plus expert gardening advice throughout the year. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors, based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition... RHS experts answer your seasonal gardening questions. Plant masterclasses. We speak to some of the UK's leading nursery people to get specialist advice on caring for popular garden plants. Hostas, lilies, fuchsias and aces, the beautiful Japanese maple. And as always, we have the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, let's join the experts from the garden teams to hear what tasks they're tackling this August. My name is Matthew Pottage and I'm the Deputy Curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. So some what to do nows for early August. So we're starting to look towards late summertime. And one thing that's very much on my radar at Wisley is we've got lots of potted succulents around. And they're succulents like echeverias, some graptivarias, aeoniums, these things with the lovely woody stems and rosettes of succulent leaves on the top. And they're great fun for dotting around in the summertime but also they get to the point where they start to look woody. Some of these rosette-forming things start to form a trunk, and they're not looking their best when they start to get like this. And this time of year is still a good opportunity to slice pieces off, take these heads off as big cuttings. So it might almost seem quite unnatural, like you're almost beheading these things. Something like Aeonium often has tall, skinny stem and his head's on top. But the thing to do is rather than leave it till the winter time when you bring these indoors and then take the cuttings, they're going to just basically sit in low light levels, less happy. And also, equally, these things are a nuisance to overwinter if they're top heavy and falling everywhere. So if there's a few heads on it, think about it now. Take a few off, get them rooted, and then you can have those growing on behind the scenes. So when the winter time comes and you're thinking, how do I get these things back indoors for the winter? You know what? You can probably just pop them on the compost heap because you've got some young ones coming on. And it is good to do it periodically. It doesn't need to be every year, but once you've kept aeoniums for three, four years, they do start to get terribly top-heavy. And if you don't do it, chances are you'll get a good gust of wind and they'll blow over and break themselves anyway but also on the topic of cuttings semi-ripe cuttings we call them is now the time of year is perfect to be looking at shrubs 
A lot of evergreen shrubs are quite good for this, or plants that have put on this year's growth flush. They've had that in the spring, and that wood has now ripened with the warmth and the sunshine. And by ripened, I mean it's not sappy and soft. You know, their stems are holding themselves. They've grown, that growth is finished, and they've basically set on the plant. And they've done that now for, you know, a month or so over the summertime. And something like Pitasporum or Illyria or Budlia, even some hollies, if you're feeling adventurous, are quite, you know, they're prime topics to be doing semi-ripe cuttings of. And that is literally, I know, 10 centimetres, 5 centimetres of the tip growth. What you really want is a tip of the plant with a growing bud. You take off the lower leaves, you clean it back to a node. So that's like the little dimple on the stem where the leaf comes from. You take off the lower leaves. If your plant's got big leaves, so say it's like a laurel, you can actually chop those leaves in half. And that's just to reduce the water loss from those leaves. And then insert them into a compost, keep it on a shady windowsill or the shadier part of your greenhouse. Keep them well watered and they'll basically sit for a while and before taking roots and you'll have a young rooted plant before the autumn. So look it up on our website if it's something you're unsure about. Some things can look like they'll be really easy from a semi-ripe cutting. It might be quite vigorous or something like a eucalyptus and you might think yeah I want to have a go with that and eucalyptus is actually very very hard to root. So do just check it out so you're not wasting your time and there's even some perennials that you can be taking cuttings of like sedums will root so easily uh, if you've got some non-flowering shoots at the base or take the flowers off, you can root those with great ease this time of year. So do just have a look around the garden and, and see what you want to increase stock of and you've got plants for free. You can find more information about all aspects of plants and gardening techniques on the advice pages of our award-winning RHS website, plus general gardening tips and video guides to key seasonal jobs go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. RHS shows attract the best nurseries from Britain and abroad and the growers have years of experience and in-depth knowledge to share with gardeners. We took the opportunity to speak to some specialists at RHS flower show Tatton Park in Cheshire to hear advice on popular garden plants. I'm James from Hearts Nursery, we're at Hearts Nursery Lily Stand at Tatton Park Flower Show and we've got all the varieties of lilies in here, orientals, asiatics, the doubles, the new varieties of doubles which some of them haven't been released yet, no names to them, the aratum gold band there which is the oriental, um, nice yellow scented petals with orange flecks in the middle, very highly scented. And we've got the tiger edition, the oriental there as well which is pink with a deeper pink centre and dark flex to it as well which is also very highly scented. Lilies are one of the easiest flowers to grow really I mean they, they look really delicate and look very difficult to grow but the reality is that they're not that, that hard as long as you've got you know nice free draining soil full sun promotes them to grow quicker. They will take partial shade, great in pots or in the ground it's all down to soil types like Asiatics will take any soil Orientals like Ericaceous Lily beetle is the main pest to look out for we suggest a, a garlic solution to deter them. It's essentially two garlic cloves crushed up, mixed with a three-part three water mix. So give them a good spray over it, tends to deter them and keeps them away. Uh, another one the Dutch growers have dropped, dropped us in on and let us know about is uh, the sunflower oil. Give them a spray over a sunflower oil when they start shooting. It tends to 
uh, act as an anti-vandal paint for the lily beetles. So they land on on the leaves. They don't like what they feel. You know, it feels alien to them, and then they just uh, disperse and leave your garden to be. Colin Jones and from Rowell in Fuchsias, North Wales. We're a small family nursery. Mum and Dad run the nursery for me and myself, and then my daughter works for me as well. Hawks has been our most popular now for years. We sell probably three or four times more hawks head for some reason than any other variety. It's a small little white traditional hardy one. Uh, that's always our best seller. Garden News is my favourite. A hardy one, big flower, nice big blousy one. And then for the non-hardy, Bella Rosella, huge flower on that one as well. Fuchsias come in in all different shapes and sizes and everything else, but the hardy ones are very easy. You grow them onto maybe a five-inch pot, get it in the ground as soon as you can. It has to be about two months before any frosts, and then it'll be there forevermore. Prune in the spring after the frost if you can. With the non-hardies, they do tend to perform better in a small pot, a really tight pot if possible. Uh, they need lots of food, maybe two or three times a week, and they, they just keep on deadheading. They love deadheading and lots of food. The common pests on, on fuchsias are always white fly and green fly. You can always spray for them. Uh, we use biological control now completely for those. And then rust is another one. Plenty of air circulation for rust. That'll keep them nice and clean. If you see it, take it off and burn it if you can. No real need to spray for that one. But uh, if you can go for the biological route, much better for fuchsias. You get better colour, less staining and just a healthier plant all round. We're McField Hosses and we're in uh, the Floral Marquee been growing hostas since we bought our first one in 1976 and uh, we've been growing them commercially since the mid 80s my mum and dad started the nursery and me and my sister have taken over the shows while mum and dad have been retired to the back to the nursery where they do all the grain work hostas tend to be shade loving plants so a little bit of shade a little bit of moisture ordinary garden sort of conditions very few full sun varieties so they do prefer the shade to give you the best colors very robust, easy to grow plant. Yeah, they are originally a woodland plant, originated from Asia, uh, Korea, and that sort of area. Brought over by plant collectors like Seabold and, and Fortune, those gentlemen back in Victorian times. Two main pests, I'd say the snail and vine weevil. Um, vine weevil don't tend to do too much root damage in my, in my observation. It's just notching on the leaves that make them un- unsightly. And also the same with snail, they do a, a damage to the leaves and leave the lattice work as they munch their way through. But of course they grow, they're doing this to everything in the garden. It's not just hostas, but because you grow the hosta for, for its foliage, it's gonna be very noticeable. So there are ways of methods of controlling them. And uh, we found one of the best ways is to grow them in a pot and put the pot in a tray. Only it needs to be a decent sized tray, but an inch to two inch depth and just fill it full of water. Acts as a good moat. You don't get root damage from the water because not, you're not immersing the plant up to the crown in water. It's just the base of it. And that works as a good oxygen barrier because they can't breathe through water, they'll drown. So it works really well. My name's Neil Kenny, uh, Larchfield Trees, which I run with my wife, Kath. Uh, we're based in the Midlands. We specialise in Japanese maples and Skydopides verticillata, Japanese umbrella pine. Japanese maples, there is a slight myth that they, they don't like the sun and that they don't like the wind. They've lived with the sun and the wind for thousands of years. It was only when uh, perhaps the gardener came along and started plonking them in, in positions they didn't particularly relish. So all the purples or reds need at least half a day's sun to keep that red colour. The greens or the uh, variegated with white in the leaf, they will take dapple shade. 
and then in between that you will get ones that are sun that are green which will take the sun and uh, and various other ones in the scale but if you take it from light white up to dark red so light color shade and as you move through they get more and more and more sun till you get through to a, the deep reds and they need half a day sun at least to keep their color you have dissectum leaves which uh, people call the uh, the umbrella ones they always say the cascading or umbrella they're dissectum leaves which is a cut leaf so they always cascade the broader leaved ones generally tend to be more upright and spreading the common problems that they have is browning of the leaves on the edges and this is where again they say well my maple is suffering from windburn uh, or, or sunburn and basically not necessarily true uh, what it is it's all about the root system at the bottom now when you buy a maple it'll have a root ball and people are really eager to pop them on uh, there's no need to generally pop them on but if you really must you must only go to the next size pot up uh, or an inch bigger than the pot it's or the root ball that it comes in if you go to a large pot because people say I'll put it in a large pot and that will give me lots of growth that doesn't work because they don't make a lot of root very quickly so you have to keep them contained so that you can water on a regular basis if you put them into a large pot the compost will get waterlogged that cuts the oxygen out that suffocates the roots the roots then can't take up the moisture that is there they go brown on the tips the gardener sees the leaves going brown on the tips and thinks it needs a bit more water more water goes on we've got a vicious circle going the tree just deteriorates so that is the secret of Japanese maples is tight in a container water on a regular basis keep it even if planting in the ground planting a well-drained but moisture retaining site avoid clay at all costs Expert advice there from just some of the specialist nurseries at the RHS Flower Show Tatton Park. If you ever get stuck when thinking what to buy as a present for a birthday, an anniversary or for Christmas, then why not give an RHS show ticket voucher so family and friends can enjoy a wonderful day at one of our world-famous shows. Here they will find dazzling gardens, stunning floral displays, top advice from RHS experts and much more. A lovely present for any occasion. Again, you can find details on our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash shows gift voucher. If you're looking for activities over the coming weeks, there are plenty of RHS events and attractions coming up. Get growing and join in the fun at the local produce show at RHS Garden Rosemore on the 15th of August. You can enter your homegrown produce into the competition, which is staged in conjunction with Great Torrington Horticultural Society. Learn how to grow and cook edible flowers at RHS Garden Harlow Car on the 19th of August. Discover the diverse range of flowers that look and taste good on the plate. Places cost £45 for members and £53 for non-members and booking is essential. Join us at RHS Garden Hyde Hall between the 22nd and the 31st of August for the Association of Essex Photographers exhibition. Browse and buy a wonderful selection of framed photographs depicting landscapes, flora, fauna and still life. Don't miss the RHS Wisley Flower Show from the 8th to the 13th of September, a six-day floral extravaganza set in the stunning surroundings of Wisley and featuring the National Dahlia Society annual show. 
Full details of all events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens what's on. As regular listeners will know, every month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, members of the RHS Gardening Advice Team join us to answer the horticultural questions they've received by phone, letter and email. So let's join my colleagues now to hear advice on some of the queries they've received recently. I'm Lee Hunt, I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. I'm Guy Barter, I work here in Wisley for the Horticultural and Gardening Advisory Service. We've had a question here from Sue Wheat, who's an allotment here in East London, and she says, My strawberries were new plants last year and didn't do very well, and again this year, not many, and the strawberries I got went soggy within hours, even in the fridge. Others said theirs did the same. Any ideas why? This was going to be the highlight of my summer. First thing to say is a lot of the better varieties of strawberries that you probably choose to grow at home do have thinner skins. And often they don't last very long. They, they get ripe. And particularly when we had that hot weather in early June, actually they, they don't last very long at all. They really want picking and eating within the sort of few hours if you can. Um, what you find is then quite quickly some of them start to go a bit sort of soggy looking around the edges and then do start to deteriorate quite quickly so it might be to do with the varieties because if you get the really good ones like Cambridge favourite they're very soft skinned so you don't get massive yields but you get very lovely berries but they don't last long but with varieties like El Santa for example they're quite robust and obviously they're used in the shops commercially but grown at home they can have a superb flavour and they also last quite a long time so you get the best of both worlds. I was going to say that um, normally uh, when you put out strawberries you don't let them crop the first year because you want them to grow roots and I wonder if in this dry year they haven't got enough roots to pick up enough water and if if plants don't pick up enough water they don't pick up enough calcium and calcium is very important in strengthening the cell walls and I wonder here if the fruits are lacking calcium and therefore the cell walls are not very strong and therefore uh, they won't be as firm as they usually are. Fortunately, uh, this should not be a problem next year. So it sounds like really it's, uh, yes, we need cooler conditions when they're cropping to last longer, but um, then also it's a bit of weight, isn't it? You know, persevere with them and things should be better. Uh, But we want really now to cut them back, I think, don't we? Sort of remove that excess foliage give them a good watering if the ground's not already wet and um, hopefully that will encourage a new flush of growth that will both tidy them up and then encourage the plants to bulk up for next year. Mr Prendergast by email has uh, said that he's going on holiday for two weeks in August. Uh, Will his outside grown tomatoes, trained as a cordon, survive in the ground unattended or do I need to find a willing neighbour to water them? Jenny what do you think? Uh, Well, obviously it depends what the weather's going to do, but we can't really predict that uh, very reliably. So yes, you will need somebody to water them or possibly come up with an irrigation system yourself by installing a soaker hose, something along those lines, and you can get quite simple systems which can work on a timer. Alternatively, you can actually set up systems using old water bottles and recycle techniques by putting sort of small holes in them and filling them up and the water can actually soak out over time but it would take some experimentation to get the flow rate exactly 
exactly right. But you will certainly need to think about how, how you're going to get them through those two weeks. And it's always best to water the roots and, and not over the top of the foliage. So if you do get a neighbour in, make sure that they have some instruction. I think the, the advantage here is that at least they are in the ground, because if you've got uh, tomatoes in containers, which of course a lot of people do, then they're going to need water every day. So if you're think you're going on a holiday and you have got them in containers or a hanging basket you definitely will need a neighbour I agree with Jenny it's um, really what the weather's going to do and you can look at the long-range forecast of course if it's about a week you have a better chance with that but as we know we often get predicted rain and then by the time it comes to the day we don't get it so um, I think to be sure thinking about some sort of irrigation system is worthwhile I must say I disagree entirely. I think if you leave your tomatoes well watered um, and you can leave them for two weeks without any problem at all, what you need to do, of course, is to remove the side shoots very carefully before you go so they don't you don't come back to a big tangled mass. But I think they'll do fine unattended in August if they're grown in the soil and are reasonably good plants. The thing about watering is you don't have to water every day. One good soak every 10 to 14 days um, is sufficient for crops in the ground in August. Oh, we've got an inquiry here from Sally Cox in Cambridgeshire. Uh, Green in Grey Britain. Um, She says she was thinking of laying an artificial lawn as her grass is a child and dog disaster area. But is this as bad for the environment as tarmacking it? It's um, an interesting question. I can see Sally has picked up on our Greening Grey Britain campaign, which is where we're trying to encourage people to grow more plants and have less hard surfaces. So I can see that she's thinking about, well, yeah, um, is something like an artificial lawn as bad as the grey? And I, I think the the answer there is it's a mixed um, sort of picture. So I'll try and explain a bit more about that. Tarmac, what's wrong with that? I think the first thing to remember is that it is um, a surface that can't soak up water. So um, rather than when you get heavy rain, it's soaking into the ground, it can run down the hill and potentially flood sort of when it joins with all the other water neighbours and other people down the hill. The thing about the artificial grass is it does actually have pores um, and holes underneath all that pretend grass on the top. So I don't think there is the same sort of issue in terms of flooding. But I think it's worth pointing out that we do know that um, obviously you get a lot of ground feeding birds. So I'm thinking about things like blackbirds and starlings. And we know things like starlings are declining in towns and cities. So there is the possible link if they haven't got enough place for them to go and feed then it doesn't encourage them certainly to um, produce good breeds and survive well in towns and cities so it's probably more that issue rather than necessarily um, about the the flooding so but I can see that obviously you're trying to say well it's a disaster because I've got children and dogs and and it's just not working so um, Guy, what do you think we could do to actually make the, the lawn better, even if you, you didn't replace it with artificial grass? Well, the question, I think, is mostly whether the lawn has got enough light. And all too often in modern small gardens, the lawn is shaded for a lot of the day. So it's worth considering whether you can insert seeds of lawns you're not actually going to cover with artificial turf in September uh, when the soil is moist and there are shade tolerant mixes that are sold. And you can sprinkle the seed over the top and uh, rake it and water it in after you've spiked the lawn. And that may well thicken it up. 
and uh, with the as it grows over the winter with any luck you'll be left with a, a more resilient lawn next year michael isaac from portsmouth has emailed in I've been interested and concerned by the RH's information about the impact of paving on front gardens and parking places on wildlife and air quality. How do I create parking for my car on my drive, which is therefore still you're still able to preserve the green space and the plant life within that small front garden that I've got? Well, um, here at RHS Garden Wisley, we've been actually trying to show people what they can do. Um, when you now come up to the, the front entrance, on the left-hand side, there is a green and grey Britain little front garden. It's very tiny. It only just about fits one car. And you will actually outside Wisley see a car parked up outside the house. But yet there are still plants around it. We've managed to squeeze them in. And how we've done that is make sure that there is hard standing for the wheels to run on and off. So we've got two strips of paving, but then the, the rest of the garden is is gravel and a, just a few stepping stones to get to the front door. Rather than having things like um, fences, they've been replaced with hedges. And then we've looked for every little corner where you might get in plants. So um, up against the walls, there are climbers. There's a tree out by the, the road. Um, we've even got a bench. The idea is when the car comes off, it does look more like a natural garden. And there's even plants in between the bits of gravel around the the, the steps up to the front door as well. So uh, when you pull it away, it basically still looks like a nice green oasis that you'd want to come home to. So th- there's plenty more on our, our webpage as well. If you look for Front Garden's design inspiration, uh, we've even got some real life examples. So you don't have to have all paving or lose your front garden, you can still merge the two. Um, we're trying to show you um, through the real example at Wizard and on the website how you can do that. It works really, really well. And also you can put plants in that uh, don't mind it if they do occasionally get rolled over, uh, like vinca and uh, thymes. So they're really quite robust plants that so will tolerate drought as well because it's obviously not always the easiest of spots to look after, if you're, especially if you're planting through gravel, etc. So... Um, there are lists there of very resilient plants on our website probably should add that um, if you are going to park on it and you're going to grow things underneath uh, it really needs to be when you're going off to work in the daytime because if you're parked up all day then it will just be very dark underneath but um, if you are moving off in the day then the plants will get a lot of light so um, those tough plants jenny's mentioned should be okay The RHS Advice Team. As an RHS member, you can get free advice on any gardening problem from the team by phone, post or email, or in person at any one of the RHS flower shows. Members also get free entry to all four RHS gardens, the opportunity to buy discounted and priority tickets to RHS events and flower shows, and much more, including, of course, an extra gardening podcast every month, available on the RHS website. If you're not already a member, why not find out more about its benefits? Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. So, that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye.
I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.